So cool. Yeah, huge, huge thanks to Susan for sharing her story. And if you've taken communion here at Desert Springs, you've been blessed directly by Susan. She faithfully serves on our communion prep team. And I'm so thankful to her, not only for sharing her story, but also for just being faithful in serving us as a church family. And today we kick off a series called Christmas Ornaments, uh, where we're looking at different values that uh, Christmas ornaments remind us of. If, you, if you've hung your ornaments already, awesome job. If you haven't, you're three weeks late, according to the Campbell Standard. Uh, we, do ours, we do ours a little bit early, because if you're going to go to all the work of getting in the attic and busting all that stuff out, you might as well enjoy it for more than four weeks. Uh, one of my favorite things is, uh, as we pull out the ornaments, is being reminded of why we kept that one. You guys know what I'm talking about? Every ornament in that box, some of them, you know, you got them last year, you got to put them out because the people who gave them to you are going to be at your house later. But many of the ornaments we keep because they have some sort of meaning to us. They remind us of an event, uh, a milestone. They remind us of a person. Or they remind us of a value. And today, we're going to think through the value of thankfulness. We're going to do it a little bit different. Actually, what we're going to do today is we're going to do all the application of the sermon at the beginning, like right now, and then we're going to look at Luke chapter 17, thinking about what it means to be thankful. And I'm so thankful for, again, for Susan sharing her story. Many of you have stories similar to Susan's where you could point to someone in your life who has been used of God to reveal God's grace, provision, or love to you. For me, uh, I'm reminded of uh, how I actually met Jesus in a real way. It was at this church. Uh, my background, I was grown up in a conservative home, religious home, but around junior high, I was done with it. I got out of it. I thought everyone was a hypocrite at church, which, spoiler alert, they are still. I just have come to terms with that. Usually the pastor is the most hypocritical of all of them, I'll tell you that much. But at the time, I was done with it, and uh, my parents, they couldn't make me go anymore, and so I was just, I was all out. But I was still desperate for long belonging. I was desperate for meaning, and so I fell in with a group of neo-Nazi skinheads. And I based my life, my whole ideology, my whole worldview was that uh, I was better because I was white, and of course, being blonde hair, I did have hair at the time, being blonde haired and blue eyed meant that you were like the boss of uh, basically uh, white supremacy. And that was my life, and I gave myself over to it because in that I found my dignity, I found my worth, I found brotherhood, I found, I mean, they had girls at the parties and free beer. Man, what more could you want uh, in that stage of life? At least for me, that was where I was at. But by the grace of God, I fell out of that through a crazy set of circumstances that I'd love to tell you about sometime. Uh, but I found myself desperately lonely and because that, long, that, that belonging and that answer to who am I and why am I here, that was gone from my life. I was just desperate to find community. And at the end of the day, I, I don't think I would have articulated it this way, but I was desperate to find God. And uh, through a, kind of a super crazy set of circumstances, I ended up playing the drums here on this stage. They had electronic drums at the time, which is a sin, and I'm glad we've repented <laughs> of electronic drums. But I played the drums here early 2000s, and one of the people of this congregation invited me over to their house. He was a newlywed. He and his wife hosted me, and they brought me in every week. And he started talking to me about Jesus and about the grace of Jesus, and it was through that relationship that I found myself 
following Jesus and believing Jesus. I can't remember the day or time I didn't have one of those come to the altar experiences, but I know about within about a year I can pinpoint when I started following Jesus and saying, you know what, I'm all in with Jesus. And since that time, I got baptized right there. I got married right here. We've dedicated all four of my children here. We've baptized. I've been able to, uh, been blessed to baptize my two older kids right there. And God has used this church family in deep and profound ways in my life. I do not know where I would be apart from God using that one individual to invite me into relationship, not only with him, but also with Jesus. And I am so thankful for that person reaching out and taking the initiative to invite me into relationship with him and ultimately to show Jesus to me in a real way. And I know that not all of us are followers of Jesus. I know that many of us are still trying to figure out who Jesus is, and I'm so glad that you're here. I know exactly how it feels. I spent a lot of time here in those seats exactly where you're at. But for the Christians in the room, I want to ask you to consider something right now. Who has been used of God in your life to reveal his grace, love, and mercy to you? Who did God use in your life? Maybe it's multiple people, and that's fine. But who has God used in your life to reveal his grace, love, and mercy to you? On your way in, you should have received an ornament that looks like this with just a piece of paper. Um, In the back of the seat in front of you is a pen. I'm gonna ask you right now to not let this moment go by, but to write their name or their names, if it was multiple people, just write there. It could be Sunday school teachers, could be parents, could be friends, could be spouses, could be uh, ex-lovers, could be an old friend, could be a, a boss, could be an employee, could be a coworker. Who has it been? Who did God use to reveal his love, grace, and compassion to you? And would you write their name down? And here's what we're gonna do with this. We're gonna hang this on the tree out in the lobby. And for the next four weeks, every day when we come in, every Sunday when we walk in here, we're gonna walk past these ornaments. And what I'm gonna ask you to do is I'm gonna ask you that during this season, you would walk past that tree and that you would take a moment and give thanks. That you would give thanks to God for using those people in your life to reveal himself to you. And so maybe, maybe God will bring some people to mind as we continue on in the service. That's awesome. I'll just ask you to write their names down. Even if you wanted to write a little bit about them, uh, that would be amazing too. This, we're not going to go through them. They're all, they are going to be out in the lobby. Uh, we want this to be a time where we celebrate and we remember how God has used people in our lives. So I'm going to ask that you would fill that out, write their names on there, hold on to that, and then at the end of the service today, as you're leaving uh, this morning, if you would just please hang that on the tree as you head out today, if you'd hang that on the tree so that we're reminded to be thankful. Now, as a church family, we have been greatly blessed. And we know that God does not bless us without calling us to be a blessing to others. As a church family, we do not exist for ourselves. Rather, as a church family, we exist to glorify Jesus and to bless the community around us. We exist to bless this community and to glorify Jesus. And so here's what I'm going to ask you to do. If you're a follower of Jesus, I'm going to ask that you would, in the back of the seat in front of you, I know this is a lot of writing, 
But in the back of the seat in front of you is a prayer card. I'm going to ask you to take out that card, please. If everyone would just please grab one of those cards so nobody feels left out. Grab one of those cards. Even if you're not going to fill it out, that's fine. But here's something that I know to be true. If Jesus has blessed you, I know that he's calling you to be a blessing to someone else. And so I'm going to ask, we're, going to take a, we're just going to take a few moments. We're going to play some music. We're going to take a few moments, and we're going to think about who is it in our lives, who is it in our lives that God is calling us to reveal his grace, love, and mercy to? Who has God placed in our lives that he's calling us to reveal his grace, love, and mercy to? And then what we're going to do as an act of commitment is we're going to put their names in the wall. Now, that sounds strange. Put their names in the wall. What does that mean? Years ago, as a church family, we were spending some time, uh, a season of prayer, recalibrating, making sure that we were focused on what Jesus wanted us to be focused on. And one of the stories that we heard was of a new church that was building their worship center. And as they were putting the finishes on it, they were finishing up the drywall, uh, some of the leadership said, hey, let's leave a panel of drywall off. And then they had, they had a, a church gathering that Sunday. And during that service, the minister asked the congregation to do exactly what I'm asking you to do, to write the names down of people that Jesus is calling us to show his grace, love, and mercy to. And then as an act of commitment, they put those names in the wall, and then they sealed it up after the service with the drywall. And the reason that they did that was to serve as a reminder that every day, when they would walk through, when they would walk in the doors, when they would walk past that wall, they would be reminded that we don't exist for ourselves. We exist to glorify God and to bless this community. And each of us, as we walk through the doors, will be reminded, that's right, Jesus has put people in my life that he's calling me to bless and to reveal grace, love, and compassion to. Well, at the time, we had already finished this building. And so one of our uh, founding members and long-term elders, Paul Shetter, threw a sledgehammer into that wall right back there so that we could make space to put names in the wall because we want to be a people who are committed to reaching out with the love and grace of Jesus. So here's what we're going to do. As the music's playing, I'm going to ask that you would just take this moment and pray, Jesus, who are you calling me to reach out to, to share your love, your grace, your mercy, your compassion and then I'm going to ask that you would write their names down on that prayer card. And then in the next just few minutes, whenever you're ready, if you would get up and as an act of commitment, put their names in the wall and be reminded day in and day out, every time that you walk into this place, that we do not exist to be a blessing to ourselves, but rather to bless and to serve others. I'm going to ask that we would do that as we launch this series, reminding ourselves of the values that Christmas brings. So would you take a moment and fill that out and then drop it off, put their names in the wall right back there and then come back to your seats and then we'll do the rest of the sermon.
So we've been doing this name in the wall thing for a while now. And there's this really cool phenomenon that happens. I get to catch glimpses of it every now and again. Someone will, sh- someone will show up to be baptized. Or they'll start volunteering. Or they'll join a group. And someone will say to them, you know what? You know that hole in the wall? I put your name in there two years ago. I've seen people baptized where behind stage the person who's about to baptize the other says, your name's in the wall. I know that Jesus loves you so much. And whoever's names you put in the wall, he loves them so much. And he is powerful to bring about any life change that's possible. There are some of us even today as we put names in the wall and we might wonder, could Jesus actually do a work in their life? And I'm here to tell you that there were people in my life that were asking, is there any way that Jesus could get a hold of some gnarly skinhead? Yes, there is. Perhaps even some of you could give testimony to how God has transformed your life by the grace that you found through Jesus Christ. I say this to encourage you, that no matter how dark, no matter how far gone, no matter how lost, anyone who wants Jesus gets Jesus. Anyone who turns to Jesus, Jesus says, I'm right here for you. We're gonna see a little bit of that even in this account of Jesus in Luke chapter 17. By the way, I did want to mention, uh, for those of us that maybe we've got people who are like, man, I'd love to invite someone maybe to Desert Springs so they could see what Jesus looks like in the midst of community. Um, Christmas Eve is a great time to do that. We have services at 2, 3.30, and 5. In fact, in the back of the seat in front of you are some invite cards. Take as many as you want. Invite as many people as you want. Uh, No matter uh, where you've been or where you're going, you're so welcome here. And we would love uh, to host anyone that you want to bring, but even just be thinking about those names in the wall. Lord, is Christmas Eve a good time to invite them? And we're going to have a ton of fun. It's going to be a great uh, Christmas Eve service. I'd love for you to join us and also to bring anyone that God lays on your heart. I have a question for you. Are you thankful? Do you think about the names on the ornament? As you think about how God has worked in your life, for those of us that are still trying to figure out who Jesus is, maybe one of the things that brought us here is a pain point. But even just this last week, we've been saying things like, man, I I think I am thankful. We might even be wondering who we're thankful to. But regardless of where you're at, your relationship with Jesus, are you thankful? Then I want to ask you this question. Have you given thanks. Not only am I asking, are you thankful? Like if I were to say, hey, check your emotional state, check your heart, check how you feel, check what you're taking into account. Are you thankful? And you say, well, yeah. My next question is this. Have you given thanks? Or to put it another way, have you expressed your thankfulness? We see this issue come up in Jesus' life in Luke chapter 17. It's this really cool account of Jesus and what uh, some call the 10 lepers. So I'm going to read portions of it, 
You can find it if you have a Bible in Luke chapter 17. And then we're going to talk about what it means to not only feel thankful, but to express our thankfulness. Here we go. This is speaking of Jesus. The author Luke says, As he entered a village, ten men with leprosy met him. They stood at a distance. Oh, that's interesting. Is that common to meet somebody and then stand off at a distance? Doesn't that seem strange to you? Come on, talk to me now. Right? It's like, hi, how are you? (laughs) Let's shake hands in the air, Stephen. Right? This is odd, isn't it? Why are they standing at a distance, you might ask? Well, because they have leprosy. They stood at a distance and raised their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he told them, go and show yourselves to the priests. And while they were going, they were cleansed. Okay, now, time out. Let's talk about the scene. Jesus is likely with some of his disciples, but we're not totally sure uh, based on the narrative so far. But we know that there Jesus is, uh, he's entered a village, and there he is in this village, and then you have 10 lepers. Now, leprosy is something that we're often confused about in the modern era. Leprosy at the time of Jesus covered over a multitude of different types of diseases. And for many people, being a leper was more socially painful than it was physically painful. Certainly, there were some uh, forms of what, what was called leprosy where you would lose some digits or you'd lose nerve endings or that things would be very bad for your body. But other skin diseases that just looked bad on the outside, you would, could also be cast out as a leper. You would be considered by your peers to be unclean, unwanted, and you would be expected to only hang out with other lepers. You've got to stay away from us healthy people. You go over there and live in like a leper colony outside of the village. And so if you were a leper, the pain you experienced was likely more social pain than it was physical pain. But yet your physical malady caused everyone else to look down on you and be a little bit standoffish, which is why they stand at a distance. They know it's a bad, uh, it's a a social uh, mistake to walk up and give Jesus a great big hug. Do you see it? So here are these 10 lepers, and watch what they're doing. What do they do? They... Hey, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Now, that's interesting. They called him two things. What did they call him? The first one was his name, Jesus, that's right. And the second one is a title. Or, think about this, or a way to explain the relationship, right? So if you were to walk up to someone and say, uh, hey, Caleb, friend, or, hey, Caleb, uh, pastor, or, hey, Caleb, uh, you know, um, dashingly good-looking gentleman. That's what my wife says to me. Uh, it's actually been a while since so she's, I got to talk to her about that. Okay, so you see that they call him by his name, and then they call him a relational designator. Jesus, what? Master. Now, this speaks volumes to what they assume or expect Jesus to do. And they say, 10 men with leprosy uh, met him. They stood at a distance and they raised their voices, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he told them, go away. No. But he does tell them something weird. What does he tell them? Go and show yourself to the priest. Isn't that weird? Don't we expect him to be like, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. 
and I will give to you rest. Don't we expect that from him? And yet he says, go, to, go see the priests. Why does he do that? One of the things that the original hearers of this text, of Luke's audience, would know that maybe we don't is that the priests were the one. They wouldn't do healings, but they were the ones who, if you were healed, they would certify the healing. Remember, what is the uh, ailment uh, that these men suffer from? Leprosy. And to be a leper, you likely suffered social pain. You were a social outcast. Even that was, and oftentimes that was more painful than just than the physical pain in and of itself. And so here they are, a group of outcasts, and they come to Jesus, and they say, uh, heal us. And if Jesus said, you're healed, who would believe them? Right? If, if you were living around a leper colony, and you grew up believing that if they get near you, you're going to get leprosy. And then they start coming near and say, a, a rabbi named Jesus healed me. Would you be like, hugs? Right? You'd get the 10-foot pole out and be like, stay over there. Until I know for sure that you're actually healed, we're not going to enter into the old school relationship. You got it? The way to know, the way for those townspeople, for those villagers to know that there was an actual healing was for the priests to certify it. You would go before the priests and they would be like, eh, check. So to go to the priests was number one on, on the, uh, uh, for these 10 men, it was an act of faith. Because what Jesus is saying is, go get your certificate of healing so you can be brought back into the community. You got it? And so they go, which is an act of faith. They, they believe Jesus is master. They know he's good. They know he's powerful. That's why they said, Jesus, have mercy on us. And Jesus says, go and show yourselves to the priests. And while they were going, they were what? They were cleansed or they were healed. Now, lepers were outcasts. They weren't around to be around people, and they definitely weren't allowed to go into the temple. Now, the temple was, in their minds, the place you go to meet God. If you want to know God, if you want to know God's with you, if you want to go know God, if you want to know that you're right with God, you want to know that God loves you, there's one place you go to meet God, it's the temple. And for a leper, because they're social outcasts, would a leper be allowed in any near proximity to the temple? Absolutely not. So for them, one of the questions is, am I allowed to meet God? Or is God only, does he only love the clean folks? Is God only for the in crowd? You with me? And so when Jesus says, go show yourselves to the priests, it's, it's assumed, at least it's my assumption, that they're to go all the way to Jerusalem, which is a long walk. And they're to go to the temple and present themselves to the priests. And they were cleansed. Now, what happens next gets right to the point of what we're talking about today. Watch this. First of all, what happens to them? They were cleansed, right? They were healed. When was it that that happened? While they were, like, walking about, right, on their way? You guys catch that? So it's like, while they're going, right? We don't know how long the walk was. It was probably pretty long. Somewhere along the way, they could have maybe had some nap times, and they wake up, and they're like, whoa. But watch what happens next. But one of them, how many of them were to, to begin with? Ten. But one of them, seeing that he was healed, what? Returned. Now watch this. Returned. And with a loud voice, gave glory to God. He fell face down at his feet. 
thanking him. Now, press pause for a second. Before I read the next line, I need to give you some context. Okay? I want you to think about the, the people that you hate the most. People group. Don't act like you don't. Okay? Everyone's like, you can't say that in church. Well, if we can't say it in church, where can we say it? Think about the people group that you hate the most, or at least that you're tempted to hate the most. Okay? The people that if they became the majority of this congregation, you would leave the congregation. Oh, now we're talking, huh? Right? Think about the people that you do not want to be anywhere near the majority of this congregation. Think about the people who you want God to smite. Now, for many of the people in Jesus' day, the people who would fill that category are Samaritans. They were outcasts socially. They were religiously uh, 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 degenerate in most people's eyes. And you didn't, you didn't marry into their families. You didn't have anything to do with Samaritans. Okay? Now, for us, we have something called the Good Samaritan. So by and large, in our culture, we associate Samaritan with good, like Good Sam Hospital, right? But in Jesus' day, a Samaritan, if you want to just feel the way this would have struck Luke's original audience, take the word Samaritan out and take whatever people group you just came up with and put that in there. And then you'll gasp when I read the text. You ready to gasp? Here we go. How many lepers were there? But one of them, seeing that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice gave glory to God. He fell face down at his feet, thanking him. And he was a Samaritan. What? No. No, let it be a good guy. Don't, don't let the bad guy be the hero of this story. No, no. No, this must be a misprint. It can't be them. It can't be those people. Ah. I want you to see something. Luke, the author, is doing something so clever here. Did you notice that he saved the designator of Samaritan for the end of the story? Did you guys notice that? He didn't say at the beginning there was nine Jewish uh, lepers and one Samaritan. He saved it for the end. Because he's intended, I, I believe that Luke, as the author, is intentionally drawing you in to be like, up until this point, thanking him, you're supposed to be like, that's right, we should be like that guy. And then you're supposed to hear Samaritan and be like, no, nope, I'm not going to be like those people, but here's the message that's trying to get, that Luke's trying to get across. Everyone who wants Jesus gets Jesus. There's not a name in that wall, and there's not a name in this universe that is too far from God. There is no one in existence today that the love of Jesus does not call out to, including the people you and I hate the most. Here in this account, you have elevated not only a person who's marginalized because of their physical appearance, not only a person who's marginalized because socially nobody wants to be near them, but who's religiously and socioeconomically marginalized as well. And what's the lesson? Well, lesson number one is, who's welcome in your church? According to Jesus, everyone, including the people you and I hate the most, especially them. Oh, church family, I'm convinced. 
that one of the best things that can ever happen to us is that we continue to grow in racial, chronological, and socioeconomic diversity so that we're standing next to and singing songs next to people who we naturally hate, who have been bound together by the love and grace of Jesus. There is nothing surprising about people who are all the same gathering together to talk about how awesome they are. There is something really strange about a bunch of misfits like us, an ex-skinhead standing next to people who I used to hate, singing the same songs in the same direction. Luke is also telling us something. It is those, it is oftentimes those who have received much grace and generosity who are the most thankful. I want you to think about something. What did the nine communicate by not expressing their thanks? What did the nine communicate? Hear me now. I want you to think about your life. I want you to think about someone or something that you're so thankful for, but you've not expressed it. Or maybe you've not expressed it lately. If I were to ask you, who in your life are you thankful for? You'd have a list, wouldn't you? Come on. But have you told them? Here's the deal. Here's how relationships work. In any human relationship, unexpressed thankfulness expresses thanklessness. Unexpressed thankfulness communicates thanklessness. Because an unspoken thanks, when thanks is not given, you see, what we're communicating to the other person is, I'm not thankful. Now you and I might think, well, they are supposed to do that. I pay them to do that. They're my spouse. They're supposed to do that. Has this ever happened to you where you've done something for someone else and there was no thanks in response? How did that make you feel? Unexpressed thankfulness expresses thanklessness. Who do you need to say thank you to? Who do you need to give thanks for? Here are these nine lepers. I guarantee they were thankful. If you were a reporter walking up right to them and they're, they're heading down to the temple, you know, to present themselves before the priest. Uh, excuse me, nine uh, previous lepers. Are you thankful? Yeah. The issue isn't a thankful heart. It's that the heart wasn't expressed. Now, uh, one of the... Uh, uh, authors and, 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 and preachers that I enjoy is Andy Stanley, and he actually did a talk on thankfulness, and I'm blatantly stealing this from him. One of the temptations that all of us are going to have, because we're sitting next to a person who we need to say we're thankful for, one of the temptations is to say, I'm going to wait three weeks until they forget Pastor Caleb said this, <laughs> so they think it's my idea. And let me just get, I, I get it. I know that you don't like being told what to do. I know you especially don't like hearing stuff like this from an arrogant guy like me, but let me just give you something. They know you. They know it's not your idea. <laughs> if it was your idea, you would have done it already. Here's another thing. If the moment slips you by, what will that communicate? If they're already feeling like, ah, oh, oh, man, I really hope they say thank you. That time goes by, and what does that communicate? Unexpressed thankfulness communicates thanklessness. 
And so here, this leper comes back. And what kind of a leper is he? He's the kind of leper that everybody hates. They hate him because he's a leper, they hate him because he's an outcast, and they hate him because of his religious faith and his ethnicity as a Samaritan. This is what Jesus says. We're not ten cleansed. Where are the nine? Didn't any return to give glory to God except this? Oh, this is such an interesting word. What does he say? This is the only time in the Gospel of Luke that this particular word in the, in the original language is used. And it's, it, it, it communicates a person born into the wrong people group. And Jesus uses his audience's designation of the Samaritan. But then watch what Jesus does. Get up, go on your way, for your faith has saved you. Everyone who wants Jesus gets Jesus. There is no one that is too far from God. Jesus loves even the people we hate the most. And what would do us the most good is if he brought them into our church family. Who's welcome into your church? I'm gonna push this. Notice that this leper expresses their thankfulness. This is why on any given Sunday, we spend about half of our time together doing what? Singing. What is that? Well, it's giving thanks. It's giving glory to God. It is recognizing our blessings, feeling thankful, and then turning to go back to Jesus and say, thank you. That's why we sing every week. It's why we devote so much time to it. It's not, it's not like pre-sermon prep. That's nonsense. In fact, I'm convinced that the majority of the value that we get is not through the spoken word, but through a community of all sorts of different misfits singing the same song in the same direction to the same king. I'm convinced that that's where the value is. Here's our question. Are you thankful? Are you thankful? Don't let this day go by without expressing your thankfulness to God and to those he's placed in your life. I want to encourage you, again, if you've got those names on that ornament card, you can drop that off, hang it on the tree on your way out today. And if you put names in the wall, or if you, if you didn't get a chance to put names in the wall, feel free to do that real quick. Ornaments on the tree, prayer cards in the wall. <laughs> Man, I love you guys so much, and Jesus loves you. And in this holiday season, let us be a people who remember to not only be thankful and feel thankful, but to express that, that we would be a people marked by thankfulness. Let me pray for us, and then we'll conclude. Lord Jesus, we love you, and we know that you love us, and you have blessed us so abundantly, and you've put us in the lives of others that you want to use us to bless them and to reveal your grace and your love and your mercy and your compassion to. Lord, we ask that you would help us to do that moment by moment. And even just as we're thinking about this and we're giving you thanks, There's people that you've placed in our lives that we need to say thank you to. For some of us, that's scary, and so would you embolden us? For some of us, it's confusing to find the words. Would you encourage us and give us the words? Lord, we want to be a people marked by thankfulness. For there is nothing we have apart from your hand. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.